Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Truth About Trucking, live, hosted by Alan Smith, a 30-year OTR veteran, business entrepreneur, and motor carrier transportation consultant, specializing in assisting students and new drivers, and pushing forward to raise the standards of the trucking industry. And now, live from beautiful Citrus County, Florida, here's your host, Alan Smith. Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to Truth About Trucking Live. I'm Alan Smith, and today is Tuesday, September 30th, 2008. And we've kind of got a, just a kind of a laid-back show for you tonight. Uh, if you have an interesting story about trucking that you'd like to share, you can call us at 347-826-9170 and be a part of the show. And I'll always be taking calls from our listeners, so you can just jump in any any time. There's really no format for tonight. Uh, in fact, I've already got a caller on the line, so we'll just jump in there and see what's uh, what's on their mind. So, caller from area code eight zero two, go ahead. How are you? Caller from eight zero two, going once. Okay. All right, we'll just bypass that. So uh, I was uh, trying to come up with some uh, trucking news. Uh, Of course, there's always just the gasoline and all that. We kind of get tired of hearing about that. But out of uh, New York, out of the Associated Press, uh, there was a report that uh, trucking, the shares for trucking companies mostly fell in the third quarter among among, um, weak freight demand uh, after after being driven up by hopes that freight demand might. Shares of most trucking companies finished the third quarter lower as investors remain uncertain about whether trends have bottomed out. And following an optimistic end to the second quarter, U.S. freight trends weakened throughout the third quarter belling any pre-holiday ramp-up, so some analysts suggest the 2008 peak season will even be weaker than uh, last year. So while truckload carriers were slightly helped by lower fuel prices, less than truckload carriers were dragged down by weaker pricing, and one analyst noted that some LTL carriers were actually hurt by falling fuel surcharges. And truckload carriers generally dedicate an entire trailer to one customer and move the freight directly directly from the shipper to the receiver, and less than truckload carriers fill their trucks with freight from a variety of sources and might resort might uh, resort and redistribute it at a company terminal along the route. Uh, among truckload carriers, J.B. Hunt Transport shares lost. in the third quarter, but some truckers improved in the quarter, including Warner, which gained 16%. And shares of YRC Worldwide out of Overland Park, Kansas, which is the nation's largest less-than-truckload operator, lost about 19% in the third quarter. And shares of fellow LTL carrier Arkansas Best Corporation lost about 8%. 
And uh, a little bit better news is, uh, or maybe on a better note, was David May, uh, a local relay and city driver out of West Seneca, New York, for Conway Freight, has been named the American Trucking Association's 2008 National Truck Driver of the Year. And the announcement came this weekend at the ATA Safety and Loss Prevention Management Council's Fall Conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And Mr. May has driven over 1.4 million accident-free miles in his 27 years on the road, and that's a lot of miles driving city and locally. And, and he competed for that national title, considered the highest honor a professional truck driver can receive against professionals nominated from the 50 state trucking associations. So our congratulations to David May for being named the Truck Driver of the Year. Uh, all right, we'll get, try this caller one more time. Caller from area code 802. You're on the air. How are you? I'm very good. Go ahead. Hello. What do you need? Yeah, what do you got? I called to listen to the show. Oh, you called to listen to the show? Correct. Okay. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm, well, I'm I have You're what? I say I'm new. You're Just new? Completed, uh, yeah, I had a. I went to track the trailer school back in '79, and I just took a refresher course. I've been driven for many years. Took a refresher course and just finished that. And I'm not positive which direction uh, is practical for me to look at at this point. No children at home, just me and the missus. I don't know whether okay. I should be looking at uh, regional runs. I'm not opposed to over the road, but what would be the easiest way for me to get back into the industry at this point? And how long has it been since the last time you drove? Probably 20 years. Okay. Well, the, uh, um, I'll touch on it here a little bit. That's not really what the show's about, but that's fine. The uh, uh, the biggest problem is the uh, the insurance carriers require, you know, a driver to have, you know, they usually about at least a year verifiable experience, you know, over the last year or the last three years. So that's going to be your biggest obstacle is just being able to meet the uh, driver requirements that the insurance carriers, uh, you know, require for a driver. Uh-huh. And uh, the, e- the easiest way to get around that is... Um, you know, I hate to say it, it's just going over the road because these uh, these OTR companies, you know, they have, you know, they they can help, you know, push that through, and uh, kind of get you on just as a student. And I guess after 20 years, you know, you might be considered that. So and I and I realize and what, that that's the approach I've taken. Right. So um, that's really almost about the only route you could take. Um, and after you get, uh, you know, six months to a year of driving time, uh, if you wanted to get out of OTR, then you, then you stand a good chance of, you know, going regional or intermodal or local or, you know, whatever you want to do. But uh, after 9-11, you know, there's just a lot of lot more stricter policies that came into effect. So you're going to have to get past that driving qualifications that uh, the insurance companies need. And how critical is it to have a hazard map? 
Uh, it's not critical to have a hazmat. I mean, any endorsement that you have on your CDL, I look at it as just an extra way to make extra money because every endorsement you have just opens up doors for other, you know, other things. If you can, uh, if you can pull hazmat, if you can pull a tanker, if I you can, um, I do have tanker. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Well, there, you know, there's plenty of things that for tanker that you don't need hazmat. You can haul water, you can haul milk, you can haul yeah. orange juice, anything like that. Uh, if you have a, your endorsement for uh, doubles or triples, endorsement is just another it's just another add-on yeah. that helps you uh, open up more doors. Mm-hmm. In other words, so um, you know it, uh, the more you have, the more open doors you'll have. So um, you know they're always a good thing, I think, in my opinion. So it's pretty much over the road if I'm going to get myself started. It sounds like. I think so, and, and not real, not necessarily 48 states. I mean, you can go regional. I mean, regional is over the road. It usually yeah. covers five to seven states. So, uh, and I then uh, many of them. Are, I'm I live sorry. In Vermont. How tough is that going to make life? Oh, Vermont. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't have any problem up there finding regional. So, yeah. uh, and then you all you always have the freight to get back. So, uh, and and most regional jobs will get you home every weekend and. And uh, although, you know, what they consider home on weekends isn't what the average person understands weekends to be, but it's a whole lot better than running 48 states if if that's not what you're wanting to do. And then just build up your time and uh, doors will open and then you can can jump in local or intermodal, whatever you want to do. So looking reachable would be a, a good option? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, regional would be a very good option. So, uh, I mean, like I said, it doesn't have to be 48-state OTR. Uh, You're just going to have to get that six months to a year uh, driving time. You need to be with a big company that can absorb someone like me, it sounds like. Right, right. Because a lot of them have – yeah, because like uh, you know, I had a couple of trucking companies, but they were small, and the insurance carriers are, are very, very strict. But th- but these huge companies were several thousand trucks. You know, they they ha- you know they can kind of pull their own weight. So and they have extra you know add-on insurance policies, and and um, that's usually the the best way to go, and al- almost the only way to go. Well, I'm 64, in good health. Uh, good driving record, no troubles with the law. How, how big a factor okay. is my age? It's not a factor at all. As long as you can pass the uh, the written and the driving exam and uh, grab your CDL, and yeah. as long as you can uh, pass the medical, uh, yeah, you're good to go. I, I got my medical. Okay. I never gave up my CDL. I've kept that. And that's why I took the okay. pressure course, just so that, you know, I'd be better equipped to go out and look around. Yeah, yeah. Well, age age not a factor. I mean, as long as you have that medical, that medical states that you're healthy and yeah. and safe to drive, and and you're good to go. I mean, uh, one of my shows a while back, I mentioned where I ran into a driver several years ago out on the road who was 82 years old. Wow. <laughs> so you're you're a young pup still. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've been very active all so, my yeah, life. I've been working in carpentry. Have you? Looking yeah, for a yeah I, don't, I don't think you'll I hear you. I don't think you'll have any problem. Okay. All right? Yes, sir. 
Okay. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Yep. Right. All right. Take care. Good luck yep. to you. All right. So tonight's show is going to be a um, a little different from what I've uh, I've usually done in the past. There's no guests, nobody to interview. Uh, I was uh, doing some reading and research online, and somehow I got wrapped up in reading very various historical issues about trucking. And uh, actually, it was pretty cool sometimes. I mean, history is always interesting. Not not only do we do we learn from history, but we can discover some pretty interesting and colorful facts. So, so what is the history of trucking? To begin with, we would have to answer the question. Well, when did transportation actually begin? Did transportation begin in the 1300s or the 1800s? I mean, what time would you think that transportation actually got its start? Well, what if I told you that I believe transportation actually began 8,000 years ago? Now, that would mean that the very first form of transportation took place in the year 6000 BC. Now, how can that be? Well, because transportation began with the invention of a particular item. Now, what would you suppose that that item would be? So, most people are going to say the wheel. But no, sorry, the wheel came later. The earliest knowledge we have yet to discover concerning the founding of transportation comes from Egyptian rock drawings dating back to 6000 BC in an area that was known as Mesopotamia. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> now, have you figured out what it was? They were drawings of river boats. And in Mesopotamia, the first river boat were made out of inflated and stretched animal skins and clay pots. So there you are, the first form of transportation as far as we know today. Okay, so did you did you first guess that it was the wheel? Now, we don't really know who made or when the first wheel was invented. But the oldest wheel that has ever been discovered was found in the same place that was known as Mesopotamia. And this wheel dated back to 3500 B.C., 5,500 years ago. So until we find an older one, I would have to say that transportation found its beginning in Mesopotamia 8,000 years ago by way of the river boats, and then 2,500 years later by way of the wheel. Now, what did the wheel do? The wheel was the beginning of modern-day road transportation. Now, where is this place called Mesopotamia? This is an area located between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, but it doesn't go by that name anymore, however. Today, we know it as Iraq. Now, after these great inventions, well, let me tell you, transportation just took off. I mean, it, it, it exploded. In 2000 BC, we domesticated horses and began using them for transportation. And somewhere between the year 181 and 234 AD, 
somebody invented the wheelbarrow. And in 1620, Cornelis Drebbel invented the very first submarine. And in 1662, Blaise Pascal brought us the first public bus. Of course, it was pulled by horses, but it was still a bus. And in 1769, the very first road vehicle was invented by Nicholas Joseph Cugnot. Now, the road vehicle as we know it today wasn't really invented by one single person. It involved an evolution that occurred worldwide by hundreds of thousands of inventors. However, we can pinpoint the many first times that happened along the way, and Nicholas Joseph Cugnot is widely known as the maker of the very first road vehicle in 1769. However, as in anything, there are those who dispute this claim, saying that Ferdinand Rubiest, if that's pronounced correctly, while on mission in China, may have been the very first person to build a vehicle somewhere around 1672. Although I do have to mention that there was a wind-powered car demonstrated in Italy back in 1335. But as far as a vehicle moving under its own power, most proof goes to our guy, Nicholas. Now, although Nicholas used the term truck, what kind of truck was it? It was powered by steam and was actually a military tractor. He built it for the French Army to haul artillery, and it was fast. I mean, it could go a mind-boggling two and a half miles per hour, and it only had three wheels. The truck had to stop every 10 to 15 minutes in order to build up more steam. But this was the beginning of modern-day road travel, and don't think road travel wasn't dangerous even back in the late 1700s. Because in 1771, Nicholas drove one of his inventions right smack into a stone wall, making him the very first person to have a motor vehicle accident. But then also in 1896, there were only four cars registered in all of the United States, and two of them collided with each other in St. Louis. So... Let's, let's jump forward to the late 1800s. Americans by now were in love with their automobiles. Trucks just weren't important at the time. Any trucks made back then uh, were made out of surplus or obsolete car parts. But there was a man who was going to change all that. He had a vision for a real truck. This guy came along and had learned how to work on steam engines, and he later became known as an excellent wagon repairman. So he started experimenting with a new self-propelled vehicle that was beginning to show up around the bigger cities, and most of his earlier inventions failed, and they ended up in the East River. They just kind of threw them in the river and forgot about them. But eight years later, in 1900, he created the first handcrafted Mack truck. And yes, I'm talking about Jack Mack 
founder of the Rough and Tough Mack truck. We all know about those. And his first truck was actually a bus that carried 20 passengers throughout Brooklyn's Prospect Park as sightseers. And in 1917, the truck was retired, and it had one million miles on it. So tough as a Mack, right? We know where, we know where that saying comes from. But also in 1900, the White brothers built their first truck powered by steam, and Henry Ford built their first commercial motor vehicle, which sold for $1,000. And in 1917, Henry Ford started mass-producing trucks. And by 1918, just one year later, there were one million trucks on the road. And in 1921, the first reefer van is introduced, as well as the first sleeper cab. And in 1931, another company you've probably heard of, Cummins, was founded and started building diesel engines, and also Caterpillar introduced the DD9900, a whopping 89-horsepower engine. Now, this engine was 5,000 pounds, and it became known as Old Betsy, and it sits today in the Smithsonian. And in 1937, GM formed the Detroit Diesel Engine Corporation. Now, in 1900, 8,000 people owned cars. By 1920, 8 million. In 1950, 50 million. And by the year 2000, 200 million. So the love of automobiles really took off. But what about the first motor truck? I mean, the invention that could really be called a truck. Well, in 1896, a German automotive pioneer named Gottlieb Daimler, again, I don't know if that's pronounced right, invented the first truck that had a four-horsepower engine and a belt drive with two forward speeds and one reverse. It was the first pickup truck. And later, later in 1925, Ford built its first pickup truck, and they, they put a price on it of $281. Now, the trucks began to come here and there, of course, with many problems. And then one company that began in 1923 started adding their own twist to things. Their first truck was built in 1915 and was called the Gur 6. It had six cylinders, and the structure was framed of steel, and it was perfectly designed to handle the ruggedness of the Great Northwest. Now, the Great Depression of 1930 to 1932 slowed things down a bit for the company, but this company just kept plowing ahead finding new markets and, and building fire trucks. And eventually, they ended up becoming the pioneer of a particular aspect of trucking when in 1933 it became the first American truck manufacturer to install diesel engines as standard equipment. And you have probably heard of this company too. It's still around. 
It's called Kenworth. Now, throughout the years, trucking has had its share of colorful characters. So one of the most prominent is Lily Elizabeth Drennan. Now, Lily was not only the first licensed female truck driver, she also was the first female to own a trucking company in the United States. In Hempstead, Texas, the first truck that Lily drove was a closed cab Chevrolet in 1928 at the tender age of 22. But, but you didn't call Lily tender. Oh, no. She was one tough lady. Lily dropped out of school in the fifth grade, and at the age of 13, she worked at a t as a uh, telephone operator. And by the time she was 22, she had lost most of her hearing, probably uh, probably because of, uh, most people speculate, uh, scarlet fever. Uh, but she received her commercial driver license in 1929 and operated the Drennan truck line for 24 years, and she was fighting against opposition from competitors and dishonest shipping clerks and many others who believed the woman was just unfit to manage a trucking company. And she and her drivers hauled uh, explosives, soft drinks, oil field equipment, and general freight all throughout East Texas. Now, many times Lily drove for over 48 hours straight with almost no sleep or rest. But you know what? She never had one single accident. And in fact, in 1946, an insurance carrier for uh, Texas trucking companies, Joe Carrington, wrote that he knew of no other truck owner that had a safety record like Lily. She even demonstrated her driving skills in the Texas Motor Transport Association Rodeo obstacle course at the Dallas State Fairgrounds in 1950 at the age of 53. And she was recognized for her colorful character, wearing khaki pants and shirt, work boots, and also a 10-gallon hat and she carried a loaded revolver with her whenever she drove. She and only she trained every driver she hired, and she was known for kicking her employees in the seat of the pants when they'd done wrong and would threaten to pistol whip or brand them with an iron bar. So she was one tough lady. And when people criticized her for her cursing, she would tell them, me and God have an understanding. So, born in 1897 in Galveston, Texas, and she died in Hempstead, Texas, only 102 miles away, in 1974, at the age of 77, a Texas legend. Now, there's, there's many who paved the way for trucking, even putting a smaller brand of truck driving in the hands of all Americans. One man paved the way for anyone to be able to jump in a truck, not an 18-wheeler, but still a truck, and head off across the countryside. In 1937, Sam Schoen and his family headed from Los Angeles to Portland, Oregon, 
to start a new life. Now, they were driving a brand-new 1937 Ford, and they had $5,000 in savings. And while they were driving to Portland, they came up with an idea that would later turn into one of the world's largest personal transport companies. But it didn't come without a cost. Beginning with small trailers, people could rent these trailers for $2 per day. But the only problem was they kept breaking down so often that later Sam termed the phrase junkers because of all the breakdowns. And it wasn't long that their $5,000 was completely gone, and they found themselves broke and living with Sam's wife's parents. But like so many other successful people, they never gave up on their dream. In 1952, they came up with the idea to lease out their business plan to anyone who wanted to participate, thus establishing other locations across the country, eventually growing to over 14,000 independent dealers and over 1,500 company-owned centers. The average non-CDL American could now grab a truck and a trailer and hit the road. The name they came up with for the company was U-Haul. So from the cave drawings of 6000 B.C. to the oldest will we found back to 3500 B.C. to that contraption powered by a windmill in 1335, trucking has grown to be an absolute worldwide phenomenon. We use use a lot of terms for uh, the big rigs, uh, semi, truck and trailer, transfer truck, 18-wheeler, Mack, big rig. In Canada, a popular term is transport. And in Ireland, they call it an Arctic. And in the UK, it's known as a juggernaut. Now, that's an interesting word, juggernaut. This is a term that is used to describe a force regarded as unstoppable and that will crush anything in its path. Well, that that sounds like an 18-wheeler to me. So today, trucking as a profession has a lot of problems. It's a tough life and rough vocation. But compared to the early pioneers, maybe we don't have it so bad. In an uncertain economy, trucking will always remain. I mean, sure, the industry can feel the crunch also, but there will always be a need for truckers. Today, there are... uh, 8 million licensed CDL drivers in the United States. And every minute, 26 18-wheelers cross the U.S.-Canada border. 26 every one minute. The average daily run for a long-haul trucker is 500 miles. and And the trucking industry produces well over $250 billion in total revenue. Now, On that note, the average operating ratio for a trucking company is 95.2%, which means that for every dollar in revenue, the company has to pay 95.2 cents, leaving them with a profit of only 4.8 cents for every dollar. Uh, We've got another caller here. Let's jump on in here. Like I said, there's no format tonight, really. 
Caller from area code 602. Hello. How are you doing tonight? Oh, pretty good, Alan. This is Larry Stafford from Phoenix. Oh, hey, Larry. Oh. What's going on? Oh, not too much. I just was enjoying the, your uh, your show, and I appreciate uh, the interesting facts about trucking history that you're uh, talking about tonight. Well, I'm just having a little fun tonight. I, you know, didn't really know... Uh, how much it was going to be out there, but I got to reading, like I said, on the internet and had kind of these interesting little facts. So, um, yeah, kind of having a kind of a laid back night tonight. Well, that's great. I, I know that I'm like you, I've been in the business for 21 years and I, I know that the truckers of past, I've got some old, uh, history books that, with photographs and some of the drivers from back in the fifties and, and, uh, sixties and, and some of you know 40s uh it's really amazing to me that uh how those men and sometimes women managed uh to handle that kind of a lifestyle it was just really rugged living back then but uh, so it's <laughs> I, I i think i would probably pass over if i had to had to do what they did i, I know it i mean i <laughs> i don't know if they had air conditioning or heaters half the time and and um it was just tough, uh, tough road to hoe for sure. But uh, yeah, it, it, you know, I've had some interesting experiences uh, in in the trucking business. I I only spent three years over the road, and I know you spent a lot more years than I did. Uh, I did some regional longer than that, but I've been mostly a, a in-state local gas hauler for many years. And um, mm-hmm. but uh, one of the more scarier times I had, I was coming down out, out of a small desert mountain community one night. I was coming down uh, Highway 60 out of Wickenburg, and there was a, a, a freight train uh, running uh, same same direction that I was going, uh, and uh, he was along with the the engines were way up at the front of the train, and uh, I started noticing these little brush fires that were starting to to uh, build and and here I'm going down this highway, and I thought, well, that looks like a little brush fire starting. And then I'm, now I'm empty, but I'm still going. And then, then I noticed that, that there's another one a little bigger. And as I'm continuing, I realized then now there's a, a huge one burning on the side of the road, and, and the smoke and the sparks are coming across the highway. And, of course, I'm having to drive right through this with an empty gas oh, wow. tanker. And just, you know, just I ended up. Finally, I got past all the smoke and fire, and I realized that the engines on that train were blowing sparks out of the top, and they didn't know it. So oh, wow. they were they, had, they were catching brush fires, and I pulled in. I, I didn't have a, a cell phone back then, so I just pulled into a gas station. It was closed, but I threw a quarter in, got the operator on, and I reported it. But that was pretty scary. Uh, well, yeah, you know, especially in a gas gas tanker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. But, well, I just just wanted you to know I really appreciate it. I've read your book, um, and uh, it's it's nice to to know that there's somebody out there that your feelings that you have about the industry um, are real similar to mine. And there was a few times there, you know, when I was reading your book that, I mean, it really just kind of brought a tear to my eye because I can 
recognize the, the feelings that you were describing, the frustrations of working hard and not always feeling like you're appreciated. And So my, I just appreciate right. your book. Well, thanks. Thanks for saying that. I'm uh, working on a revision of it right now. We're going to release it pretty soon. So, oh, wow. But I appreciate you saying that. So, um, Well, let me ask you real quick before you yep. go. Um, since you're in the gas hauling business out there in Arizona, yep. are, you, are you having problems with a lot of allocation and all that kind of stuff out there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're – as a matter of fact, Alan, you know, I was a company driver for 17 years, just drove trucks for the other guy and, and just tried to make an honest living. And I bought a truck about four years ago, and I was a leased owner-operator um, for a gas hauling outfit here in the the Phoenix Valley and we paid the truck off and me and my wife went out and got our own authority and we started our own um, small little one truck independent company we're not a big huge carrier but yeah we're struggling there's every load that I have to haul it seems like you know I'll get I'll sit in line to get loaded and then I'll get up there and then there's, there's no allocation then I got to pull off and um, Okay, it's, so it's not just—it's just not—it's not just here then. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't know. I don't think we have it as bad as the Southeast and the Midwest does, because I've been hearing that you guys are flat out just running out of fuel out there. Oh yeah, especially up in Atlanta, and uh, and it's the same thing with the gas haulers down here. I mean, they'll—you uh, know—they get to the terminals to load the gas to get it to the service stations, and right. And there's, there's no pro there's no product, and uh, wow. I don't know about you out there, but but here the uh, the allocation turns over at midnight. So, yeah, um, you know one dri one driver was at the uh, was at a terminal the other night. Uh, he got there real early, like 5:30, and there's, uh -huh. there's no product, and he's having to sit till midnight <laughs> waiting for the allocation to turn over. And I guess the service station owners just don't they don't they don't understand that part of the industry. They they kind of blame the drivers down here, but we really right. don't. Have, you know, they don't have anything to do with it. So well, I was wondering if you were feeling it out there too. Well, we we are, and and I don't want to take up your whole show. I know you have a lot of info, information that you're speaking about, and I'm just glad to hear it. But we're we're I'll tell you, getting my own authority and actually getting the loads myself from the fuel distributors in this area has really been an eye-opening experience. Um, as a company driver, you're shielded oftentimes from the politics and the and the the uh, game of of sales and trying to get the loads and and establish the relationships. Um, it's it's a rugged business out there, and uh, we're just going one day at a time right now. But Alan, I just appreciate you and Donna and your your hard work that you do for for the industry. And um, thanks again. Okay. Oh, I appreciate it, and and thanks for calling, and thanks for listening. I I appreciate it more than you know. Okay, Alan. Take care now. All right. Good luck to you. Okay. Uh, same to you. Bye bye. Bye. All right. So, um, uh, yeah, it's kind of tough. Uh, I watch the gas. I, I watch the gas industry quite a bit here, and um, and the gas haulers around here, and and uh, I know I know several of them, and and they uh, they're trying to get the you know they're trying to get the product and trying to get it to the service stations. The service stations are out of gas, and uh, the owners, you know, of the stations are yelling and and you know who, who you know who can blame them? You know they need the product, but uh, a lot of times the uh, when the driver finally does show up, um, 
the owners of the stations, you know, kind of tend to put the blame on the driver, but they just they just don't understand that the driver is already putting in 12 to 14 hour days trying to get the product, and they get to the terminal to uh, to load the gas or the diesel, and there's no product available. I mean, uh, Hurricane Gustav and Hurricane Ike knocked out 20% of the pipeline and uh, still haven't, haven't got it going up yet. So the any of those store owners out there that might be listening, they're trying their best, and they're just, they get to the terminal, and there's just no gas. So uh, over here, like I was telling Larry, they, the allocation turns over at midnight, and drivers you know, are there at 5, 5, 30, 6, 7 o'clock, ready to load, and there's no product, so they're having to sit there till midnight for the product to load, and then... Maybe they'll get it. So yeah, the gas the gas problem is is a problem we're going to have for a while, I'm afraid. So, but for the um, so so where was the uh, the trucking companies? Uh, they have to pay 95.2 cents for every dollar in revenue. So that leaves them with a profit of only 4.8 cents for every dollar. And to operate on our roads, the trucking industry pays over, well over $2 billion per year, but along with the massive transportation industry, taxpayers have to pay also for such things as um, motor vehicle accidents, costing the taxpayers an estimated $4,900 per second. And uh, accidents can happen anywhere at any time. We all know that. And Take, for instance, uh, there's, a, there's an oasis in the Tanir Desert in Central Africa, and you're probably wondering where am I going with this, right? Now, this oasis is home of the world's most solitary tree. Yeah, I, I said a tree. Now, now, who investigates this kind of stuff, and who knows this kind of stuff? So, but the next, the next closest tree from this oasis is 31 miles away. Yet in 1960, the world's most isolated tree in Central Africa's desert was hit by a truck. So just thought you would like to know. <laughs> but, but even with all the pains that come with trucking, driving or running a company, innovators are still excelling. Like just last year in 2007, Companies, some companies are leaping forward, breaking new grounds from the standard trucking avenues such as TL, LTL, short haul, regional, um, interregional transport, uh, interregional transporting. Now, one LTL carrier, Conway, is now operating in the TL and ocean transport fields, and FedEx expanded into long-haul national coverage. And Snyder National, we all know about Snyder National. Well, Snyder now has authority to operate as a domestic carrier in China. And J.B. Hunt now provides guaranteed shipping services from ports in China all the way back to Long Beach, California. So still innovating, still changing, still expanding. It makes you wonder what the next great invention of trucking will be. 
or um, who will come up who will come up with the next life-changing invention? Who knows? And if you're wondering who makes up the top ten trucking companies in the U.S., well, they are from one to ten: Swift Transportation, Snyder National, J.B. Hunt, Landstar, Warner. U.S. Express, Creek Carrier, CRST, NFI, and Covenant Transport. And what about the top ten private fleet companies? Well, they are Cisco Corporation, Walmart, U.S. Food Service, Pepsi Bottling Group, Tyson Foods, Halliburton, McLean, PepsiCo, Key Energy Services, and at number 10, BJ Services Company. So we'll just have to sit back and wait and see what great invention will come along and um, what will uh, push the trucking industry into a new generation, so to speak. So, And with that, I appreciate you tuning in and hope you've enjoyed this little background on truck, trucking and with a few fun and interesting facts along the way, but be sure to book Marcus and add us to your favorites. I thank you for that. And check back to stay on top of the date and time for our upcoming shows. And if if you have something interesting to discuss relating to the trucking industry, anything at all, and you would like to be a guest on the show, well, write me at alan at truthabouttrucking.com, and we'll see what we can come up with. And if you're considering a career in trucking, uh, be sure to check out truthabouttrucking.com and sign up for our free newsletter and free bonus reports. And also, we, like as I said earlier, we will be releasing the new revised edition of our popular ebook and information, The Truth About Trucking, very soon. So be on the lookout for that. And check out our blog at askthetrucker.com and join in on the comments and posts. We appreciate it. So until next time, we'll cut it short here a little bit. But for Truth About Trucking Live, this is Alan Smith. Drive safe, and thanks for listening.